My name is Chad. I'm one of the pastors. It's been quite a week, hasn't it? Now we're going to talk a little bit about that in this sermon. Uh, on Tuesday morning, as I was driving to work, before the big storm hit, I, I looked out over you know, the horizon on, on Broadway as I was driving south, and I just looked at how cold and, and wet and um, just rainy everything looked. It just looked like a storm was coming. And yet, here I was driving to work as if I had this all under control, that the storm wouldn't hit yet, so I wasn't worried about the roads being icy. I wasn't worried about getting to work and then the storm all of a sudden coming up on me and getting iced in. It hit me as I was driving to work with all these thoughts that I was making a pretty big decision based on a weather forecast. My little app on my phone told me that the temperatures were above freezing. The storm wouldn't hit for <clears throat> quite a while longer, so I could, I could go to work on Tuesday. And I also knew that this, this weather app would continue to give me these little updates if the temperature did begin to drop, if the storm all of a sudden unexpectedly did come in a little bit early and I needed to get home quicker than I thought, the weather did get worse and worse. And up until that point, I was prepared. I had everything under control. I left work early, got home, was with my family. And then what happened? Woke up on Wednesday and had no power. Anybody else lose power over this past week? Boy, that's fun, isn't it? <laughs> Something like that, losing power to your house, it's almost impossible to forecast. My weather app did not tell me, hey, Chad, you've got about 10 more hours of power. You better, you better get some supplies. So I'm sitting in my house, and as my neighbor called it, it sounded like a World War Tree. All of the branches in my neighborhood were just cracking. And then what? Falling. All around. Falling in my backyard, falling in my front yard. I know some of you falling on your houses or your cars. Falling on power lines and pulling them down for days. This is something I couldn't forecast. This is something I couldn't prepare for. This is something I couldn't control. So I'm going to share with you a few observations I made about myself in this situation that perhaps you could relate to. The first is we make an awful lot of plans and decisions based on forecasts. Does my daughter need a raincoat for school this morning? Let me check my weather app. Um, if I buy this package in time, or if I buy this package, will I have it delivered on time? Well, it's two-day delivery. Amazon says it'll be here. When will my power come back on? Well, let me check my Encore app. Sorry, at this time we have no idea when your power will come back on. Second, not all forecasts are accurate, are they? They just aren't. Not all forecasts, not all predictions are what they say they probably will be. They just don't come true. 
And when that happens, how do we respond? With joy or with frustration? Sometimes the things that we're counting on to happen don't happen. My power did not stay on. I didn't even realize I was counting on my power to stay on. But it didn't happen. And when the things we're counting on don't happen, prove themselves unreliable, what happens to us? We become frustrated. Or I've talked to many of you this week, you just feel discombobulated. You feel like the ground beneath you is shaky. And you wonder, what do I have control over? What can I count on? Is there any solid ground in this broken, fallen world? And we're talking about trees losing their limbs, losing power. But there's many of us who experience far greater things in life that leave us feeling like we're on shaky ground. I am very discombobulated. I'm very confused. I'm very frustrated. What do I have to count on in this broken, fallen world? Is it all just chance? Are some people luckier than others? I looked out across my neighborhood and I'd look down the street and their lights were on. Is that luck? What is that? What did they do? So this morning, as a Christ follower, we're going to talk about what solid ground we have to stand on. What can we as a believer in Christ count on day in and day out, no matter what? And we're going to do this by looking in Joshua 18 and 19. So go ahead and open your Bibles. And in Joshua 18 and 19... We're going to see the final allotment of land, the tribes' inheritances. We're going to see this to the remaining seven tribes west of the Jordan. And in our study of these chapters, and we're going to bounce around, we're going to, we're going to look at first the Lord being the divine distributor. Okay, it's the Lord. He's the divine distributor in this deal. Next, we're going to look at a description of each tribe's allotment. And then finally, we're going to talk about the tribe's attitude toward their allotment, toward their inheritance. So the Lord's the divine distributor. We're going to look at these tribes' distribution, their allotment, and then we're going to talk about those tribes' attitudes towards their inheritance. So our first point is the Lord in this in these chapters was the Lord's was the divine distributor. And read with me in chapter 18, verses 1 through 2. Chapter 18 of Joshua, the Lord's the divine distributor. 18, 1 and 2. Then the whole congregation of the people of Israel assembled at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. The land lay subdued before them. There remained among the people of Israel seven tribes whose inheritance had not yet been apportioned. So stop there. From, from this point uh, through 19, the end of chapter 19, we're going to see this allotment. 
And we'll, we'll talk about some of that. But what I want you to note first is in verse 1 of chapter 18. It begins very similarly to how this section in chapter 1951 ends. Read verse 1 of 18 with me one more time. Then the whole congregation of the people of Israel assembled at Shiloh and set up a tent of meeting there. The land laid subdued before them. Now flip over to 1951. This is the end of the section, and this is a literary unit. Its ending and beginning are very similar. Chapter 19, verse 51 reads, These are the inheritance that Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the father's houses of the tribes of the people of Israel distributed by Lot at Shiloh before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So they finished dividing the land. So 18.1, 19.51, both talk about the whole people of Israel. They both talk about the tent of meeting, which is the tabernacle. And they both mention this place called Shiloh. Okay, this is significant for us to understand in order to understand what the Lord through Joshua is telling us in these passages. These three things, the people of God, the tent of meeting, all come together in this place called Shiloh. Now, this is the first time Shiloh is mentioned in all of the Bible, is right here in 18.1. And by mentioning this particular place, the author is hinting at God doing a significant shift in his kingdom program. He's doing something new here at Shiloh. And we get hints of that where in verse 1, we see that the land is subdued. And then in 51 of 19, it says that they finished dividing the land. These are markers in the ministry of Joshua, significant markers. So what exactly is going on here at Shiloh? Well, we see that the tent of meeting was set up here as its first established location. This is where God first established the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, after the land was subdued and after they had allotted the land. This is the place where God's people would come to meet him. Up until this point, they had been wandering in the wilderness. And then during the, subdu uh, the subduing portion of Joshua's ministry, the Ark of the Covenant traveled with the people. So they were a traveling tribes. Now, God is saying, I'm here. I'm in Shiloh. You will come to me here. And this particular phase in God's kingdom program is significant for his people for this reason. In Deuteronomy 12, he said, once the land is subdued, once the land is yours, I'm going to establish a permanent place for you to come in order to worship me faithfully, in order to worship me joyfully, in order to worship me securely. Faithfully, joyfully, and securely. And it required them to have their own land. Their covenant-keeping God delivering what he had promised. Faithfully. His people would come to him alone. To him alone. 
This is one of the key reasons that they had to subdue the land, is they needed to drive out these idolatrous nations who would ensnare God's people with false worship. Joyfully, unlike other religions in the ancient Near East and today, worshipers of the one true God are able to worship him joyfully out of gratitude for his grace and for his blessing. They don't worship him out of fear that I'm going to do this all wrong and he's going to smite me. They don't worship him in order to secure from him grace and blessing. They're able, we, followers of Jesus, are able to joyfully worship God because he's already given us all that we need to know him and walk with him. We can worship him joyfully and then securely. In the context of the people of Israel, God promised, as you honor me, as you honor me, I will protect you from all these surrounding nations. They will not reoccupy the land that is now yours. Come worship me. I am your security. So it was not until this point, as I said, that they had this opportunity to worship him faithfully, joyfully, security for, for all that he had done for them, driving out these nations. Before that, delivering them from bondage in Egypt and planting them in a land that he said was theirs, their inheritance. So this, this past week for me, no doubt for you as well, it was a, a good check on my heart. It was a good check on my priorities and how I view my circumstances. It was a good check on my own worship of the Lord. As I've shared with you, I, I lost power for just two days. I know some of you lost power for longer than that. And as I was sitting in my comfortable chair, conveniently positioned right in front of the gas-powered fireplace, you can stop feeling sorry for me at this point, warming my toes, I kept saying things like, how much does a generator cost? I just cannot believe that I'm in this situation. I'm, I'm going to get a generator. I'm going to at least look into how much a generator costs so that this doesn't happen again. Why, why don't we bury our power lines? Why are our power lines on these wooden poles right by all these aging trees that are susceptible to falling? And as I'm doing this, this, this went on for a while. It, this did. Nancy, my wife, in, in grace, in humility, in love, said, Honey, you're doing a lot of complaining. At that moment, I wasn't complaining is how I saw it. I was just being reasonable. I didn't like the position I found myself in. Having been caught off guard, unprepared, on shaky ground. And my focus is, was on what can I do to fix this so that I'm comfortable, so that I feel secure, in control. Well, it, it's very similar, I think, to how God's people felt very often wandering 
in the wilderness and then occupying the land, thinking, this is hard. I don't like this. This isn't what I expected. It was a lot easier in Egypt. Just we had hot meals. Here we're in warfare. And God called them what? Grumblers. Grumblers. I was a grumbler. I wasn't worshiping God for all that he had already done for me. For all that he was doing for me. So even more specifically, again, I was just thinking of ways I could prevent this from happening again. Feeling shaky. Something else, though, I want to note in these chapters is I want you to see that Joshua is telling us something about the Lord's interaction with his people, the Lord's relationship with his people in 18 and 19 during this allotment when they were getting their land. What we see is Joshua is showing us that the Lord, as the king of kings of his people, he is presiding over them. He's present with them, specifically in these chapters over the allotment. He's present with them in the tent of meeting. And he's presiding over, as a king, he's presiding over this distribution of the land, this allotment. You get this, you get this, you get this. It was the Lord's doing. Where do I see that? Well, other than this mention of the tent of meeting twice, uh, we see this phrase Three times in verses 6, 8, and 10. Look at verse 6, where I want to show you this phrase, before the Lord is the phrase. And you shall describe the land in seven divisions and bring the description here to me. And I will cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. He's presiding over this. Verse 8. So the men arose and went, and Joshua charged those who went to write the description of the land, saying, Go up and down in the land and write a description and return to me. And I will cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. The Lord's presiding over this. He's superintending this. Verse 10. And Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. And there Joshua apportioned the land to the people of Israel to each his portion. This casting of lots for what portion of the inheritance each of the seven remaining tribes received was no chance. It was no accident. It was no luck. It was before the Lord. He was superintending each tribe receiving their inheritance. So God, as we see here, left nothing to chance. He oversaw and effected the, con the conquest over the land, and now he's overseeing and effecting the allotment of each tribe's inheritance. We as God's people often... Oh, so often. We compare our present circumstances to one another. Do we not? Why does he have this? Why does she have that? Why don't I have this? Why don't I have 
that. We compare. We even compare how we think things should be to the way things are. We have forecasts for our lives 10 years down the road for ourselves and for our kids. And we expect things to be a certain way. And we ask God, why, why have you allowed this? Why, why is it this way? Why is it not that way? But when we do this, when we focus on what we don't have or what we do have and wish we didn't have, Or what we hoped to have. And when we compare our present circumstances to everyone else, we overlook, I overlook, the one thing we do have. The one thing each of us in Christ shares in common. The one thing that cannot change. And the one thing that matters most, which God allotted to each of us who have trusted in Christ, and that's our eternal life. That's what matters most. And that is what God has allotted to each of us who have trusted in Christ, our inheritance. And He's already secured this for us in Christ. It's a done deal through Christ's death and resurrection. And he's given us his spirit, each of us in equal measure, his Holy Spirit. But we often overlook this, so quickly dismiss this, and want our power to come back on. And we're really willing to grumble. I'm willing to grumble. So this moves us to our second point here, the allotment of the tribe's inheritance. We're going to be focusing on inheritance here. Read with me beginning verse 4, where I want you to observe that Joshua took great care in chapters 18 and 19 to mention each of the 12 tribes by name. So beginning in verse 4, provide three men from each tribe And I will send them out that they may set out and go up and down the land. They shall write a description of it with a view of their inheritances and then come to me. And they shall divide it into seven portions. Judah, there's one tribe, shall continue in his territory on the south. And the house of Joseph, there's another, shall continue in their territory on the north. So stop right there with me. What we've seen here is these seven tribes are tasked with surveying the land. And in this, Joshua is beginning to mention all 12 tribes. Okay, continue with me as we see him mention each of these tribes by name. We've seen Judah. We've seen Joseph. Uh, Now in verse 11, jump down to 1811. We're going to see him mention the remaining tribes. The lot of the tribe of the people of Benjamin, according to its clan, came up. And the territory allotted to it fell between the people of Judah and the people of Joseph. Skip down to verse 10 of chapter 18. Verse 10 of chapter 19, pardon me. Skip over to 19, verse 10. The third lot came up for the people of 
Zebulun, according to their clans. And then verse 1 of 19, sorry, we're jumping around. The second lot came out for Simeon, uh, verse 17 of 19. The fourth lot came out for Issachar, for the people of Issachar, according to their clans. Verse 24, the fifth lot came out for the tribe of the people of Asher, according to their clans. Verse 32, the sixth lot came out for the people of Naphtali, for the people of Naphtali, according to their clans. It's going on and on. He's being methodical here. Uh, And then we see in verse 40, the seventh lot came out for the tribe of the people of Dan, according to their clans. So that's all 12 tribes. And it's, it's monotonous. It's, it's tedious. It seems to be unnecessary that he's keeping track of all of these tribes and he's mentioning their allotment. So what's Joshua trying to teach us with this? What am I trying to show you that Joshua is teaching us in this by mentioning all 12 of these tribes? It's got to be beyond a legal document. And it is. They, they use this as a, a legal document saying, this is our inheritance. This is our land. But it's, it's more than that. It's more than that. The Lord, through Joshua, was showing us that he dealt truly and without favoritism to each of the 12 tribes. Each tribe received their inheritance just as he promised. And despite the fact that some of the fathers of these tribes were real scoundrels and certainly didn't deserve an inheritance, God was faithful to his word. And Joshua is showing his people that, and he's showing us that, that he promised and he delivered. All 12 are accounted for. Approximately 1,500 years later, the apostle Peter shared with us something very similar about God's faithfulness to his word regarding our inheritance as New Testament believers, our eternal life. In 1 Peter 1, and it should come up here on the screen, in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, listen to the Lord's word for us regarding our inheritance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This word inheritance here in 1 Peter is equivalent to the Hebrew word inheritance that we're talking about here in Joshua. Their inheritance was the promised land Our inheritance is an eternal relationship with God. And what we see here 
is that this is something God has secured for us. It's secured in heaven. And it's something we cannot lose. That we cannot give away. He's holding us. He's holding our eternal inheritance in the palm of his hand. And God leaves nothing to chance with his people. Regarding the whole entirety of our lives. And regarding our destination. Where we will be. Our eternal life with Christ, both in the future sense of glorification and presently our sanctification. God has the same goal for us to be conformed like Christ. And so while we look at our circumstances and we think this is just bad luck or I did something wrong or I don't deserve this, why do some people have this and others don't? The Bible tells us that the The lines have fallen on us in pleasant places. We each have the same inheritance in Christ. He has secured that for us. And presently, all circumstances we go through are for the same purpose. To be conformed to the image of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. This eternal security... And this perspective that all things are used by him for something that's good. Even though there's nothing good about tree limbs falling on people's houses. He uses these for good in order for us to be conformed into the image of his son Christ. Who you will be conformed to. It's a done deal. It's a secured promise. So this is the solid ground. This is firm foundation that we can stand upon when everything else is shaky we can stand on the firmness of God's faithfulness to each of us in Christ so if that's the solid ground why is it so difficult for us to find secure footing on this why is it so difficult in our day-to-day experiences To build our lives upon this. This moves us to our final point this morning. And it's the attitude of the tribes regarding their inheritance. Read with me verse 3 of chapter 18. So Joshua said to the people of Israel. How long will you put off? going in to take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you. This this phrase, how long will you put off going in, other translations say, how long will you be slack going in? This idea of putting off or being slack towards their inheritance is an attitude of negligence towards Their responsibility in surveying their inheritance. That was their responsibility. God had secured the land. Now they were to go and survey it. And they were being slack. They were negligent towards their responsibility of surveying the land. 
Now, I'm not beating up these people. They were war-weary. They were war-weary. For approximately one decade, they had been waging war with all of these kingdoms within the promised land. And they were tired. And they were careless towards their responsibility. This word picture of letting slack is of letting go of something. It's a hand dropping the ball. And what we see here is these battle-weary believers having gone through so much to this point still had a responsibility toward God for something He had already done for them. And no doubt, us here this morning, we feel battle-weary, do we not? I've spoken with you. I've prayed with you. I know the trials that you're going through. And your ground feels shaky. You're tired. And what we do, what I do, when I'm battle weary, all too often, is I just kind of let slack in regards to my attitude with what God's already done for me, what He's already secured for me, my eternal life, that sure foundation. And where do I run? I run to God's blessings usually. I run to good things of this world, hoping that this will revive my soul. This will refresh me. This will give me strength, restore my vitality, or numb the pain, or take my mind off of what I'm going through. But it's not solid ground. There's only one solid ground. When we experience the shakiness of this world, when we are war weary, there's only one solid ground, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our rock, He is who we are to run to. His promises upon which we are to stand and build our life. So, In recapping briefly, the way we experience life, it often feels like chance or a never-ending saga of battles. And we're not to run to things that we think will either numb the pain or make us feel happy. We can't build our life upon that. We're to run to the rock and build our life on Him. Why? Because that's our secure ground, both in an eternal perspective But also in the present, he's using all of this, this junk, to make us more like Christ. That's our secure foundation. So my challenge to us is as we navigate this side of heaven, rather than being slack in regards to the eternal security we have in Christ, this eternal relationship that we have that we can nurture presently, Rather than being slack, let's grab hold of the one who's already securely grabbed hold of you. Let's grab hold of him. 
Let's draw near to him. He is our solid ground in this shaky, war-weary existence as we are but pilgrims at this time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son that in him we do have eternal life. We thank you that he is our solid ground. Help us to run to him, to build our lives on him. We pray that you would, by your grace and your mercy, draw us to you. That we wouldn't run away from you when the ground is shaky and we're war-weary, but that we would run to you. You've got us. We're securely in your grip. Help us to grab a hold of you, to experience the embrace of your hug, to press in towards you in our relationship with you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.